Have legal questions that need answering? Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Emmanuel Shepherd and Condon. Message us with topics you would be interested in hearing on future episodes of Legally Speaking. Welcome to Legally Speaking from Emmanuel Shepherd and Condon. My name is Jennifer Schoff Richardson, and I'm a director and leader of the Employment Practice Group, along with my partner, Eric Derlichka. I'm joined today by Dr. Rick Harper, who is economic advisor to Triumph Gulf Coast, which is the board that distributes the BP oil money. Um, Dr. Harper is an economist with his PhD from Duke and a long and storied history of commenting on current events in both the local and national economy. So we're here today to talk about hiring and retention in this economy. It's certainly an issue that um, employers, large and small, are experiencing our area, particularly being reliant on tourism, restaurants, the hotel industry, is having enormous challenges at um, both both hiring employees and retaining them. So we're going to talk today about what the current situation is, what some potential solutions are to that problem, and, and what the future may look like in light of other things happening in the economy. So, Dr. Harper, I thought you could start us off with some statistics on the current situation. Uh, well, thanks, Jennifer. It's good to be with you today to talk about the economy. Uh, the statistics for Pensacola in terms of the labor market are actually strikingly good. Our unemployment rate uh, in uh, the, the statistics are out for April of 2022. Uh, we grew uh, 8,600 jobs net in the two-county metro area, that's Escambia and Santa Rosa, over the April 21 to April 22 period. That's exceptionally strong growth, over 6%. That's faster than the state of Florida. Florida had a great year as well, added 518,000 jobs, 5.9% growth, but Pensacola did just a little better. And we did better than our neighboring metro areas as well. Uh, faster growth in Pensacola than in the what the feds call the Crestview, Destin, Fort Walton Beach metro area and the Panama City metro area as well. Do you have any understanding or, or what could we attribute that to Pensacola's faster growth? You know, a lot of it is actually inbound migration. Uh, we're in the middle of the uh, work from home revolution and uh, uh, we're finally realizing some of the promise of the internet that we've been expecting for several decades. And one trend that we've seen over time is that some of the densely populated and very expensive metro areas, if you think New York and San Francisco in particular, but others as well, have been losing population domestic migration. Florida has been a particular recipient of inbound migration from other states. And when you look at the indicators for Pensacola, Escambia County, for example, home prices, according to Zillow for the latest data, are up 31% year over year. And that's just an astonishing increase for uh, Escambia County. Pen uh, Santa Rosa, not quite so much, but still incredibly robust 20% year-over-year year price growth, value growth uh, in homes. And a lot of that, 
research by the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco has published research looking at the correlation between migration patterns, work-from-home characteristics of the labor market in metro areas, uh, and uh, wages. And what they have found is that about half of unusual price increases in homes can be explained by inbound migration uh, for people who choose to work at home. And of course, we all know people and and the set of our friends and family who have uh, taken that route. And it turns out that uh, Florida, to nobody's surprise perhaps, is a particularly uh, attractive place for people to come. And so we've seen growth in the job market, growth in the housing market, and overall that shows up in just excellent labor market statistics uh, right now. I never thought of it that way, but I'm a part of that inbound migration, at least to the Pensacola area, right? Um, So I had been able to work remotely for a couple of years when this opportunity came my way. And when you're in that situation and weighing the pros and cons, you just sort of think, why not work remotely from my hometown where I have support and... um, I thought there would be a lower cost of living here. That was not true during due to the housing right. um, market increase. Um, but but we definitely know many. You know, I have a, a couple of friends now that work with Meta that have moved to the Pensacola area, and they're bringing those salaries and those California expectations here That's to right. Pensacola. It actually came up in an interesting. Um, panel I was involved in yesterday about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how those folks who are coming here from New York and California have a very high expectation for diversity and really proactively embracing diversity in our community. They do, and one of the places that that shows up is in cultural amenities, and we've talked for years about how Pensacola has a a real advantage that we've got symphony, we've got opera, museum of art, children's chorus, uh, ballet, all here in our kind of uh, tiny southeastern community, except it's not so tiny anymore. I was just looking at the population statistics uh, in conjunction with an examination of migration, in the Pensacola metro area, in our two counties, the estimated 2020 population uh, from the census is 511,000 residents in the two counties. And in terms of metro areas, there are about 385 metro areas in the country. And um, we are, uh, if memory serves correctly, 111th out of those 385. So we're not a small metro area anymore. We're a medium-sized metro. We have excellent amenities uh, that people uh, truly enjoy when they come here. There's still some things to work on, obviously. Uh, the legacy of our our generational attachment to the, the Southeast. Uh, but um, we're overcoming many of the challenges that we face. And the labor market overall is very strong right now in Pensacola. So we have all of our growing population here, and there is a strong and healthy demand for services from those individuals, whether that's being able to go to a restaurant on a Monday night um, or find a hotel to get away for the weekend. And those employers are facing enormous challenges, actually having to reduce their hours, reduce their menus, 
um, due to an inability to find enough people to work. So, so what are the barriers to hiring that you're seeing? Well, the barriers to hiring, uh, there's a demand for labor, as you say, on the part of businesses. And in Pensacola, we're looking a lot more like the rest of Florida than we did a generation ago. If you think back to the 1980s, we had the Naval Aviation Depot as a, an enormous employer. Uh, and if you look out at the, the paper mill or at uh, Ascend Performance Materials out on Chemstrand Road or at Air Products, they hadn't yet seen the productivity enhancing benefits, which let them produce more paper uh, at uh, IP, at the paper mill, uh, let them produce more plastic resins to be used in car parts uh, uh, at Ascend Performance Materials. And they do that with only a fraction of the employees that they used to have because they've uh, invested in labor-saving productivity enhancements uh, that let them generate more revenue uh, but and be able to afford to pay their employees more, but they don't have as many employees as they used to. And the military, uh, which formerly, along with manufacturing, uh, we were a two-legged stool uh, in the 70s and 80s, manufacturing and military, but that's changed. Manufacturing has gotten much more efficient in terms of its use of labor. Uh, that's productivity at work. Uh, and the military has stayed relatively constant in terms of the number of people employed, but the rest of the economy, particularly the service economy, has grown up around manufacturing and around the military so that healthcare now is just as large as an employer uh, as the manufacturing and military sectors of our economy. And then leisure and hospitality, tourism is right up there as well. And that leads to the labor market situation that we see today that so much of service delivery is face-to-face, -face, that if you're going to have home health, home health aides to, uh, to come into people's homes or you need nurses uh, uh, on the hospital floors, uh, we're a very healthcare-intensive economy. We're the healthcare hub for uh, 100 to 200 miles around, reaching far into Florida, for example. Uh, here in Escambia County, Santa Rosa uh, enjoys some of that growth as well. And so we need more people to perform those face-to-face -face services. There's a big shortage, for example, of registered nurses in the state of Florida. Pensacola is no exception. That's why, for example, across the public education system, if you look at technical high schools, regular high schools, the state college system, the state university system, the single most well-remunerated degree is actually nursing from uh, community colleges. Uh, it beats right. in terms of the likelihood of being employed in field a year after graduation. Uh, and at a high wage, nursing takes the cake. People are doing very well here. And that's an example of the type of occupation that's in short supply. And then if you look at, say, uh, what we do to serve the tourists and the retirees. Now that we're looking more like the rest of Florida in that uh, our biggest growth segment in the population is actually age 65 and over, those uh, people, uh, we consume a lot 
of healthcare services. Uh, go out to eat frequently if you can afford to move to Pensacola and give up your place in the Midwest or in the Northeast. Then uh, you may well be moving here for the amenities, including uh, dining out. And so, as you mentioned, lots of restaurants have found that they can't be open for lunch because they only have enough staff, enough access to people to uh, staff their, their dinner shift. And so that's led to shortages. Who would have imagined? I mean, maybe we're not surprised by the news that uh, Apple is now going to pay people uh, at its retail uh stores at the Apple stores, $22 an hour to start. But when you see uh, Whataburger down the street offering uh, sign-up bonuses uh, and uh, uh, restaurants uh, in all of the sectors of leisure and hospitality are, are really having to pay $15 an hour to, to staff their positions at least, that's a sign that the labor market's tight. And it is tight. We're down, uh, as I said, at 2.2% unemployment. That's below the state of Florida, uh, which is below the nation. And so it's very much a, uh, a seller's market. If you have labor services to sell to a business, to a business then uh, you'll likely do well. Right. And I shouldn't leave out of our discussion, you know, areas that are really feeling that crunch. We touched on a couple of them, but especially public school education, child care workers and those residential care facilities and home nursing aides that um, help our aging population. Um, <clears throat> so a question that I try to help my clients with is how can you attract um, applicants and make sure that you stay within the parameters of the law. I think we all know that during the application process, the um, race, sex, national origin, sexual orientation, religion, disability, marital status, these are all areas that can play no role in your decision. So employers have to be careful sometimes with what they view as an open opening up a dialogue or saying we're great at being family friendly or something like that. They have to be careful not to touch on those topics that can lead to a discrimination claim. Um, however, what I've seen is that employers kind of because they're forced to are becoming more open-minded and inclusive about the kind of employee they want to recruit. Particularly, we've seen employers become more accommodating of requests um, by individuals who may have disabilities. We've seen employers stop asking questions about criminal history. They're much more focused on your skills and your ability to do the job, which is where the focus should be all along. Um, and then I, I've been fielding some interesting questions about employers who want to stop doing drug testing on applicants, you know, once they make that offer. There used to be kind of a, a gut reaction about drug testing the applicants and having a zero tolerance policy. Um, as marijuana has become more and more legal in Florida, um, at this point for medical purposes, employers do not want to um, to disqualify otherwise qualified applicants who are not, you know, in safety sensitive 
roles, if if they can keep them, they want to keep them. So I've, I view that all as a good thing because we're focusing more on the job duties and the skills to get the job duties done. But um, I think there are, you know, positives and negatives about the whole situation, with most of them being positive for the worker. Um, now, the most easy to understand impact on workers when they're deciding to take a job or keep a job is wages. So Florida um, adopted what we thought was a wonderful new minimum wage. We're going to $15 an hour by 2026. And I think here in 2022, it's looking less less generous than perhaps it felt at that moment when when that measure was passed by the citizens of Florida. You know, you know as an economist looking at that issue, um, I'd say that uh, the market has overtaken the minimum wage and that uh, if you want to hire employees in the state of Florida, because of the very strong demand from our businesses that that see new customers and want to be able to grow to meet that demand, they have to pay well above. They have to pay above what they're expecting in 2026, which is $15 an hour, Uh, even though we have not yet climbed to that level in terms of the required wage. So uh, in a sense, that's a good thing because the minimum wage is not distorting the labor market right now. You know, Uh, From the perspective in the economics profession, the minimum wage can be problematic because businesses have to look at the bottom line when they make a decision about hiring someone. They have to assess, is this new employee going to contribute at least their cost of employment plus some margin so that I can afford to hire them? And If there's a lot of slack in the labor market, if there's not much demand so that uh, uh, well-qualified employees are relatively cheap, then the people that get frozen out of that market are exactly the people that we would most like to help. These are disadvantaged teenagers that may not have experience in the job market. They may not have acquired the skills that they need for whatever reason. Uh, to be high performers without further on-the-job training. And so the minimum wage, I believe, is uh, problematic in that it tends to lock the very people it's intended to help, lock them out of participation in the labor market, at least when there's some slack in the economy. There's no slack in the economy right now, and so businesses are finding it tough to hire. If I were to look at a a solution for alleviating the issue that how do I make a living wage, particularly with rent going up as much as it is going up in Northwest Florida, I I think that the earned income tax credit is a much preferable solution to the minimum wage because it doesn't fall squarely on the back of the business that's doing the hiring. Mm -hmm. Instead, the earned income tax credit is paid out of the federal treasury. And the federal tax structure is somewhat progressive in the sense that higher earners pay a higher share of their income as taxation. And if we could expand the earned income tax credit, that would truly expand the job market because if you could keep the minimum wage a little bit lower, 
so that it didn't penalize the business that's doing the hiring and instead shift that burden of paying a livable wage onto the earned income tax credit, I think that would be a much better situation that would encourage on-the-job training and encourage employers to take a risk and hire that person, even if they're not quite sure that they're worth $20 an hour, mm-hmm. I bet they'd be worth $10 an hour. And so I, I think uh, we need to have a bit of a policy change with respect to the way we address the lower rungs of the job ladder. It's an interesting solution. I spoke to one client recently um, who owns several grocery stores. And I said, you know, what are you going to do about the rising cost of labor for those very low level positions? Um, and he said, I'm, I'm not going to be bearing this cost. You are <laughs> right. When you go buy your groceries. It's a pass through. So, right. Um, so I think it's interesting to think about who, who's doing the paying and what result are we getting as a country? Um, So moving on to the Great Resignation, as it's called, Um, um, many employees have left their jobs in the last few years. I don't know if you know more specific data on that. Well, uh, they certainly have. You know, uh, the economy collapsed into recession beginning in February 2020 with the onset of the COVID uh, situation. And uh, gross domestic product fell at an annualized rate of 31%, almost a third shrinkage uh, in the economy. But it started to roar back right away. Very unusual. I mean, normally in the United States, we do tumble into recession and then climb right out. But this was particularly precipitous uh, because we hadn't fallen that deep since uh, really the Great Great Depression of Mm -hmm. uh, 100 years ago now, almost. And so, but to climb out the way that we did, even though we won a lot of those jobs back within several months, we still were 8 to 10 million jobs short for the United States. relative to where we should have been. And that means that it's hard for businesses to get the workers they need. And and that shows up in the supply chain. If you don't have the uh, pilots to fly the planes because uh, that particular crew had a COVID incident, then that means that uh, uh, people can't get to where they're going, et cetera. Uh, And so... That's been problematic. Uh, We are back for Pensacola. We're well above pre-recession levels of employment. But had we continued on the strong trend growth and employment that we had been seeing prior to the recession, we would be several tens of thousands of workers higher than we are today. You know, Pensacola historically, uh, until, gosh, uh, really... uh, 2010, we had grown a net from 1990 to 2010 of about 1,500 net new workers per year. But from 2010 onward until the start of the Great Recession, I mean, we've got some uh, recovery from uh, the Great Recession, some recovery from COVID, but we've been growing at about 5,000 net new employees uh, per month, and so, rather per year. Um, And 
in the two-county area. And so that's very strong growth. We're not quite back to there. Some of that is due to what people have called the great resignation. Uh, the stock market did well until the start of 2022. And so a lot of uh, older Americans saw that between their stock market wealth and the increase in the value of their home equity because housing prices were rising rapidly, that they reached their retirement financial goals sooner than they had expected. And so they were able to stay out of the labor market. Plus, being more vulnerable to COVID as the older generation, they were reluctant to come back. And then you had the families uh, with two earners, with kids. And uh, if you were at risk of having the the your child's classroom shut down because of COVID exposure, then that was extraordinarily problematic uh, to find high-quality daycare uh, to uh, to meet your needs. And so between, um, uh, well, it turned out to be largely working women. You know, it's a legacy of our, our generational experience in the United States. There is a wage gap between women and men, which of course will disappear over coming years because women now make up about 60% of college graduates, university graduates, uh, versus 40 for men. And so uh, the men that get siphoned off uh, into the trades to do construction or other jobs that uh, appear attractive uh, and may even keep them from completing high school, perhaps, um, the, the wages in those jobs tend to level out after a number of years, but the women with the university degrees are going to uh, have a great wage profile over time and will be supervising uh, the companies uh, in which those uh, men work. So that wage gap, I would expect to see go away over time. But if you look at two earner households disproportionately, it was women who the, the family chose for them to stay at home. <clears throat> in order to uh, handle the, the COVID, the pandemic responsibilities. And um, so between the segments of early retirees and disproportionately women uh, exiting the workforce, we're still a couple of million people short at the national level from, from where we should be. That's in contrast to previous recessions, the, the Great Recession that began in 2000, December 2007 and extended through June of 2009, that was disproportionately men because it was a housing market, construction sector set of jobs that really disappeared. Florida lost over 50% of its construction jobs uh, during the Great Recession, wow. and those were disproportionately men. So, so we've seen somewhat of a change. Normally, uh, women tend to disproportionately uh, be represented in healthcare sectors, and the healthcare sector has been kind of the energizer bunny of the labor market. It's just kept on growing jobs, although now with the COVID recession, healthcare employers have found, uh, found it difficult to get the employees uh, they needed. We've heard of some just uh, very large bonuses being paid to attract uh, particularly qualified nursing staff into uh, care for the COVID patients. And, and so it's been a very unusual recession, largely recovered, but we still got the lingering effects with people not fully back into the labor market to make up those lost jobs. And I think what I've been seeing is employers are getting really creative 
right, with what they can offer their employees and methods of retaining them. I think of particularly the healthcare sector has been wonderful about providing tuition reimbursements for their nursing um, and tech staff to, to get to that next level. Um, and many companies, um, retail also, are finding they need to make their own plan for the managers of the future. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal about how Walmart is really um, advertising that we'll pay you fifty thousand from the start, and you'll be making you know nearly two hundred thousand if you can manage one of our stores, which is the path we're going to set up for you, because they anticipate that they just don't have enough internal individuals to fill those roles. So um, I like that. I like seeing that path for progress for employees. I find that motivational, um, though though you have to do a mix of everything for everyone. And that's particularly important for Florida because, again, we're one of the states that relies most heavily on tourism. Uh, You know, not quite as intensive in tourism as Hawaii or Nevada uh, or, gosh, uh, Uh, some of the uh, upper northwestern states that have lots of hunting, but we're fifth in the nation in terms of labor force intensity in leisure and hospitality, and those are largely face-to-face jobs. Uh, And also serving the retiree population, largely face-to-face sorts of jobs. So Florida businesses are particularly impacted by the difficulty of getting people back into the labor force. Whereas if you're someone with great tech skills uh, and you can work from anywhere with a laptop and an internet connection, uh, you tend to be a higher wage individual. And so uh, these are the people who, uh, as uh, we talked about some time ago, are choosing to work remotely uh, and base themselves in Pensacola for quality of life amenities, yet bring their very good salaries to spend here in our, our local area. Certainly when I think about flexibility, I think about, you know, as a a white color worker, that ability to work remotely. But I read a really interesting article about flexibility in terms of um, offering employees a compressed work week and how for individuals who have trouble actually getting to a job, transportation, that is a major, um, majorly attractive benefit that an employer can offer because they have one more day a week to not incur that travel expense and one more day a week to take care of their family. So for instance, having a four day, 10 hour day, um, work week. Um, I read something that said employees value remote work at 8% of whatever their wages are. Um, so I am curious if you anticipate that these companies um, who are seeing their employees go from expensive metropolitan areas to Pensacola, do you think they will make wage adjustments based on locale eventually, or does the economy just not really support that? It's really tough to make wage adjustments with existing employees. However, I could envision that some of the tech companies that hire people uh, – as they go forward, would make wage adjustments that correspond. You know, our own Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics publishes what they call regional price parities. That is, what would it take to make uh, the purchasing power of wages in one metro area equal to another? And in Florida, for example, the highest uh, 
uh, price level due to real estate is found in Miami. Not surprisingly, when you've got the Atlantic Ocean on one side and the Everglades on the other side, uh, uh, in the Straits of Cuba on the um, south side, then it makes sense to think that real estate prices would be very expensive. And so that's resulted in a cost of living index for Miami that's about 15% above the national average. Whereas if you look at Pensacola, uh, we're about 4% below the national average. Now, with the uh, inclusion of uh, the price increases in housing from 2021 to 2022, I expect that to change. However, uh, I would expect companies to make some adjustments for people that they do hire, but it's very difficult to tell someone, sorry, you have to take a 15% wage increase because you no longer live in San Francisco, you live in Pensacola. Agreed. Um, And I have a personal, well, a professional and personal concern for pay equity. If it turns out that flexibility is discounted in terms of pay, you have to make sure, right, um, that those productivity standards are equally discounted lest you run into a situation where there is a pay disparity. Right. Uh, I could see that... um And you, of course, being the attorney, would advise me as to whether the courts would respect an inflation-adjusted pay parity. That is, if you paid somebody $96 in Pensacola for the same job that you would pay $115 for in Miami, does that constitute discrimination of any sort? Or is that merely recognizing the fact that the to achieve the same standard of living, that's the normal differential? That's why Pensacola traditionally has been less expensive. Uh, that's why, you know, if you look at our own University of West Florida, uh, it's done a spectacular job of competing on the metric that the legislature has uh, and the Board of Governors has performance metrics for the state university system now. And University of West Florida has performed very, very well, uh, perhaps unexpectedly so, on the metric, how much money do your graduates make on average in the first year following graduation? And Pensacola is leading the pack. And so there are a number of reasons for that, but it's certainly not what you would have expected based on cost of living adjustments, because right out of the gate, I would expect an attorney receiving an offer in Miami to see that offer be 20% higher than it is in Pensacola. Certainly. And that's certainly the legitimate business reason that Mm -hmm. I would point to if I were counsel, but I don't know that the EEOC always sees it that way. But it comes down to duties, right? And um, what are you doing and what does the employer have to pay in that market for sure? Um, I came from a big AMLAW firm, and so salary actually is very transparent there for associates, and it's very clear who's on the New York pay scale and who is on the Jacksonville pay scale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Harper. There certainly is a lot to digest. These are bigger <clears throat> problems than we can solve in one podcast, but I've learned a lot, and I sure appreciate your expertise. Thank you, Jennifer, for inviting me today. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Legally Speaking with Emmanuel Shepard and Condon. Goodbye. 